Well, as you know, we're in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. We're going to go through chronologically, beginning with Adam, who is a kind of a struggle, right? Because sin came through Adam. But we're going to start with Adam. And I didn't want to start with Adam this week and have all these visitors next week, invite them to come back, and they already missed Adam. So I thought I would do this. I thought I would talk about this amazing superhero, this awesome, extraordinary God that we serve each and every day. Talk about God, because that's how the Bible opens, highlighting and focusing on the God that created us. The bottom line of our talk is this. From the beginning of Scripture, we encounter the extraordinary God that has the wisdom, power, love, and grace to take ordinary people like you and me and empower them to significantly impact others for all of eternity. Everything that we do for Jesus Christ will have an impact for eternity. Nothing else in our life will have that kind of impact. If you want to make a difference for a long time with the resources and the time you've been given, do your work for Jesus Christ. You won't regret it. It's the only thing that will last for all eternity is the work that has been done for God the impact that we can make in the lives of others. And believing that what the Word of God says is true. I was, uh, I think I mentioned to you, I invited this Jewish couple. We got into the conversation because we just started to talk with them, and I asked them what they did, and they asked me what I did, and I said I was a pastor. They're like, oh, okay, so we're Jewish. And I'm like, oh, cool. And uh, then we started to talk about that. And they said, and the the wife said to me, you know, I just think that so much of what you believe as Christians and what we believe as Jews is so similar. It's so similar. And I said, yeah, I agree, it is. And she goes, and it's virtually, you know, it's identical. It really isn't, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Well, of course, that's a wide open door, right? And you always have to say this with a smile, right? You can't, you can't like get into an argument about this. And I, I did my best to just say, you know what? I hear what you're saying. But the reality is as a Christian, just by the name, it implies that we follow the teachings of Christ. And Christ made it clear that he is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, that he is the Messiah that the Jews are waiting for. We began to talk about that. But there is a distinction, right? We believe in Jesus. We believe in the authority of his words. Why? Because he's the only one that died and rose again. I said this to them last night. If Jesus didn't rise again, I would close the doors of the church and go home. We shouldn't meet anymore because all of what we believe is based on the authority of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again. That gives his words power and authority. See, if the word of God is true, there are implications. If the book of Genesis is true, let me give you some implications of that as we start this study through the book of Genesis and the Old Testament. If Genesis is true, then we are not accidents, but rather divinely ordained to be here. My son, my 13-year-old son, came home from school this week and said, Dad, they were talking about evolution in science class again. And, of course, my son sat there for the next hour and heard my speech again about why it's not true. That's why he rarely tells me that. We're talking about it again because he knows what happens. But we should be preparing our kids with the evidence that they can use to defend the Word of God and the truthfulness of it. You know, this teacher was saying that, you know, what's going to happen is there will be mutations and the beneficial mutations will stick and the non-beneficial ones won't. And I said to my son, to ask her next time, how do those mutations get written into DNA? How do those additions get written into DNA? Because obviously it has to be written into the cells that will reproduce your descendants. 
How does that change? Because scientists have never observed that. It's like, okay, Dad, I get it, I get it. But there's so much evidence against what he's learning in school and so much evidence for an intelligence designer that put DNA with all of its complex biological information in every cell in our body, which tells every cell what to do. The cell can read it and, and follow those instructions. Amazingly complex. We're not accidents. We're created for a purpose. Here's the next thing, if Genesis is true. We have a purpose in life. I hope all of you believe you have a purpose in life. You know why you're here. You are here to glorify God with your life. You're here to glorify him and enjoy him for the rest of your life and that relationship you have with him. Number three, if Genesis is true, we are responsible to direct our lives according to the truths given to us by that creator. If a creator designed us in his image, made us, if he's given us the word of God, then we're responsible to follow it. We can reject it. We have the freedom to do that. But there's a responsibility that we have to follow him. And there will be consequences for our decisions, good or bad. Here's the next thing that's true if Genesis is true. We will one day encounter our creator and face the consequences of our decisions in this life. Have you accepted Christ or rejected him? Are you seeking to follow him and glorify him? Or seeking to glorify yourself or follow your own desires and not his? And number five is this. If Genesis is true, we have a sin problem. The Bible tells us how sin came into the world. We have a sin problem, and therefore, with our sin problem, we have a need of a Savior. That's exactly what Genesis 3.15 talks about, that God right away in the Garden of Eden said, here's the answer to your sin problem. Here it is. One day, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So as we get into this uh, passage this morning in Genesis chapter 1, I want you to know this. Your God is the creator God with all wisdom and power. Please don't doubt that there is a God who created everything. From the smallest, tiniest, tiniest little one-cell organism up through the most complex biological being on this earth, that's you and me. God is the creator God with all wisdom and power. Let you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We read a couple of weeks ago Genesis 1, 1, and 2, but Genesis 1 is an easy passage to find. Amen. I'm not even going to give you the page number of the Bible in your chair Bibles. You're going to find this on your own. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read it again at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 1.1. Let me stop right there. The word in the Hebrew is barah which means create, out of nothing, theologians say. In fact, the Latin word for that is ex nihilo. God didn't start with any materials and reshape those materials. He created out of nothing. That's why scientists are boggled and confused and bewildered why anything exists at all. Why is there anything in the galaxies, in the universe? Why does anything exist at all? If there is no God, how did it all start? Scientists don't know. If you want to talk about one of the most basic questions they have no answer for is why does anything exist at all? Why is there anything out there? Well, the Bible tells us in the beginning, God barah, out of nothing he created, ex nihilo, the heavens and the earth. Then it talks about the six days. Now, let me say this right from the beginning. There are people that love the Lord, love God's word, who see each day as millions of years, uh, an age. 
It's called the day-age theory. There are people who love the Lord, love God's word, who believe that. I, I, I love God's word. I love the, the, the Lord. I believe each day is a 24-hour day, as the Bible seems to indicate to me. But we have great debates. You should study it on your own and come to your own conclusions. I have friends in the church. We debate each other. We're giving each other articles and books. And, and one day when we get to heaven, they'll find out they're wrong. But right now, it's one, one day right now, it's a great debate going on. And please, it's not a salvation issue. You can believe either way here at Riverview Church. I would just love for you to come to conclusion on your own as you study the Word of God, as you get into this. I think it's important for you to at least study it. What do you believe? Let me talk about these days, right? Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So we see, what did God do? In day one, he created light and darkness. Now I'm going to move on to day two. Let's keep reading. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. He's creating out of nothing. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. He's talking about the atmosphere here. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the earth be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So the second day, he created the sky, the atmosphere. Now we're on to the third day. He created land with plants and trees, and it says there in verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit, in which there is seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the third day. Now we're moving to the fourth day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light, the moon, of course, to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. So he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. So God created birds and fish. Now we're moving on to the sixth day. And God said, Let them bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things. We all love those creeping things. And beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Notice he didn't say my image. He said our image. Already a hint of the Trinity there. He's he's not talking to himself. 
It's the three persons of the Trinity. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Day six, animals and people God created. We serve an awesome God. And if you're a believer in God, the more you study creation, the more you study what God made, the more you will be in awe of this powerful God. The more you study the human body, the more you study the most complex three pounds of matter in the universe, which is your brain, the more you will be in awe of our creator God. The more you'll come to church every Sunday ready to worship him, the more you'll go from this church and live every day ready to say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. You created. This did not happen by accident. See, if you're a creationist, which I hope every one of you are today, that you do not believe that this all happened by accident, by some random force. A creationist is a person who believes in a creator who brought about the existence of the universe the world and its inhabitants for a divine purpose. You might say, well, no, I've heard the phrase intelligent design. What's that all about? Well, that's really a, a more plausible, not, not plausible, a more palatable way to speak about creation to a secular world, especially in public schools. Intelligent design is the theory that says this. It holds that certain features of the universe and of living things are best explained by an intelligent cause, not an undirected process such as natural selection. That, I think I showed you this quote a few weeks ago by Francis Crick, who said as he's looking at biological organisms, he has to keep reminding himself that this was not designed by an intelligent designer, even though it looks that way. This happened by a random process. Well, he's seeing design in creation, but he does not allow God to be an answer because he refuses to allow that to be an option. Now, uh, who made that rule? Whoever did, which it shouldn't be a rule, is totally unfair in the true discovery of what our nature is all about and how it came to be. I love what one philosopher wrote. He wrote this, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can diminish the light of the sun by closing his eyes. Right? If you refuse to give the sun its due and, and, and the amazing sun that we have that's so consistent in the way it warms the earth and, tra- and as we travel around it every year, the amazing consistency of the sun, by closing your eyes, you don't diminish its glory. It doesn't change a bit. The same is true when someone denies the glory of God and his creative powers all around us. See, there are three words that I want you to remember about our God, three truths that are so powerful. One is this, our God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere present, everywhere. He knows everything that's going on, not only here on earth, but at the entire universe. Now, that would boggle our minds to think about that, that there is a being that knows everything that happens on the earth. Jesus stated this very powerfully when he said, a sparrow does not fall to the ground without my father's knowledge, and you are worth much more than these. Now, if God knows that much about a sparrow, how much more does he know about you? He knows your name. He knows the days you're going to live. He knows the words you're going to say even before you say them. He is an awesome God. 
He deserves all of our worship. And he's a God that loves you and is everywhere present. Love what the word of God says in Psalm 139. Where where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You cannot run away from God. God is always there. One theologian I read wrote this, and I thought it's so apropos. He said this, we can never talk about God behind his back. Don't you love that? You can't get away with talking about God and he doesn't know about it. You can't say anything behind his back. Hey, let me tell you about God. I don't want him, I don't want him to know this. I'll be talking a little bit about him. We cannot speak of God in his absence. He's always there. The God who is being discussed is also there. When I was speaking with those people last night at the party, God was right there. The attitude people take to him can never be merely theoretical. To deny him is to spite him to his face. What the theologian is saying is this. If you deny God, he's right there. You're denying him to your face, to his face. Here's another amazing quality about God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything about the universe, everything about you. Psalm 139, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, even before I say anything, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God not only knows your present, he knows your future. He is an awesome God, and so often we diminish him. We want to put him in this little box and limit his power. But he is an awesome God. And every time we come to church, we gather together to worship him, together with other believers to encourage one another and build one another up because our God is alive. Psalm 139 also says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God, you knew all my days before I ever lived them. He's omniscient. Here's another great quality of our God. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There's nothing our God cannot do. He is all-powerful. This is what the Word of God says. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Behold, in Jeremiah, it says this, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Romans 1.20 says this, for God's invisible attributes. You can learn a lot about God just by looking at creation, is what this passage says. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So things that have been made, in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. That you can look out at this universe and at this planet and be amazed at the God that you worship every Sunday and the God that you live your lives for throughout the week. See, the glory of God is displayed all around us in a macro way. And we're finding out more and more about it. The more you find out about nature, the more you're amazed by the macro glory of God. There's about a seven-minute video I want you to see. This talks about the macro glory of God. Think about the power it takes to make the universe, to start it all off. And this video is all about starting at our sun, traveling at the speed of light. And as you travel out into space to get an idea of how vast 
The creation is that God accomplished. Let's watch this video and just be amazed. Traveling from our sun, the speed of light. Let us travel now at the speed of light, departing from our home star on a trip across the cosmos toward the edge of the known universe. Our imaginary journey begins at midnight on January 1st when we prepare to launch into space at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. We quickly pass the orbits of Mercury, Venus, and span the 93 million miles that separate the Earth from the Sun in just 8 minutes 19 seconds. We continue on, passing Mars, then the gas giant planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Finally, after 5 hours and 31 minutes, we race past Pluto and its companion moon. Our journey has taken us more than three and a half billion miles to the outer limits of our solar system. And it's still January 1st. Now we alter our flight path and travel in a direction perpendicular to our galaxy. Behind us, the nine planets and the sun quickly vanish from sight. The emptiness of space is broken only by the light of stars so distant they do not yet appear to move. A year passes, then two years, three, four years. Finally, on April 19th of the fifth year, we reach Alpha Centauri the nearest star to our solar system. We have traveled more than 25 trillion miles and our journey has scarcely begun. We are now 10 light years from the sun, far enough out in space that the stars within our galaxy appear to converge. 100 light years from the sun, Patterns of gas and nebulous material from the arms of the Milky Way fill our view. 1,000 light years. The galaxy's arms and disk become more defined. Yet it is not until we have traveled at the speed of light for 100,000 years that the entire spiral shape of the Milky Way is recognizable. From here on, each point of light we see is no longer an individual star, but an entire galaxy composed of billions of stars. Five million years after beginning our journey, the Milky Way is seen as part of a cluster of about 30 galaxies, known as the local group.
50 million light years out, we encounter the large Virgo cluster, containing more than 2,000 galaxies. And so it goes, as our travels continue to take us deeper into the cosmos. We pass cluster after galactic cluster, each a building block of a far greater framework. A billion years pass. Five billion. Finally, after 10 billion years, we decelerate and pause to observe a theoretical view of the universe's large-scale structure. Countless billions of galaxies are now seen to comprise chains, masses, and thread-like structures that stretch across the cosmos, separated by enormous regions of empty space. It is a spectacular tapestry, so vast and diverse in its design, that the power of its creator must truly surpass all human understanding. From the perspective of size alone, I guess that you could say as human beings, we appear to be little more than microbes, living on a speck of cosmic dust we call the Earth. Here we have a universe that's so incredibly large, and we are incredibly small, so that relatively speaking, our place in the universe is totally insignificant. For when considered against the inconceivable power and size displayed throughout the universe, any perceptions of personal importance we may hold are easily overwhelmed. Yet God did not create on this awesome scale to frighten or intimidate us with his power. Instead, each night he uses the sheer magnitude of the cosmos to help reveal the enormous significance of every human life. Uh, we're told in the, uh, in the book of Psalms, in the Old Testament, again of the Bible, that the heavens declare the glory, glory of God. We're not told anywhere else that any other part of nature specifically does that as clearly as the heavens do. God has revealed His creative 
uh, juices, if you will, in the way that he's, he's made diversity and beauty and wonder. And it's there getting our attention, saying, hey, I'm here, look, here's the evidence that I'm here. It's something that the Lord has put out there for each one of us to seek out and come to the conclusion that there must be a designer, there must be a creator. And so consequently, uh, I think most astronomers I've ever met uh, believe there is a God. We may differ in our opinions or understanding of just who God is and how involved He is with His creation, but uh, the vast majority of astronomers I do believe recognize that there is a creator. Our God is awesome. Amen, church? Wow, when you think about the power it takes to accomplish what we just saw, and that's the same God who came as a little baby boy, excuse me, in Bethlehem. It's awesome. Isaiah 40 says this, It is God who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. But God's glory, and I don't have time to even share this, isn't displayed only in a macro way, but in a micro way all around us. Even the simplest of cells, quote unquote, are incredibly complex. In fact, when I, uh, uh, I talked about this with Greg Mangus this week, he said, tell them about the bacterial flagellum. I love that. You talked about that a couple years ago. This little tail on a one-cell bacteria that can spin at 100,000 RPM in a quarter turn, turn the other way, 100,000 RPM. In fact, one professor at Harvard University called it the most efficient machine in the universe. And where does it occur? In a one-cell organism with all these complex parts, 40 of them brought together in a miraculous way to make this little tail spin at 100,000 RPM and then spin the other way. God's glory, not only in a macro way, but in a micro way. I, I like what this one scientist said. Even if all the data points to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. In spite of all the evidence there for this awesome God that we serve, we can't believe in him. We can't give him credit because we have to give a naturalistic explanation. I tell you, when you look around our creation, it declares and displays God's awesome character that he cares about you today. Secondly, this, and we're going to close with this. Creation emphatically declares God's awesome connection to us. I read to you how each of us have been created in the image of God. Theologians call it the imago dei. What does that entail? What does that mean? I believe it means this. There is a spiritual connection that we can have with our creator that no other animal on this planet can have. An ability to communicate with him and him with us and with one another that is very much a part of who God is. This image of God that is uniquely held by humans on this planet. You have value to God. He's created you. And our desire ought to be, in light of who God is, God, I give you my life. It would be foolish for me to spend one day of my life following any other desire or going down any other path that leads me away from you because you are awesome. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer before him. And as your hearts are bowed before our awesome God, I hope you know today that he knows you He knows your name. He knows everything you do, and he loves you. 
and that we would be a church that would rise up and say, Jesus, we want to live our life for you. May we not get pulled away by Satan and other distractions on this planet, but realize, God, everything that we see is created by your powerful hand. And we worship you this morning. We worship you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing forever, God. is Forever, God. for being here today. We have elders up front who love to pray with you. Don't forget to sign up for the uh, coffee break if you want to do that or help out as a volunteer next Sunday. Don't forget Nick Vujicic next Sunday. Live this week. All for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.
Sins and grief.